Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20 this morning in Philippians chapter 2. Matthew 20, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in Matthew 20. So if you only get to one place, go there first. And once you're there, stand with me. We're going to read our text this morning, and then we're diving into our message. Continuing our the all-in series this morning. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, we read, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the Zeb- uh, sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, here we find really the crux of Christianity. Here we find the the mission of Jesus Christ, and therefore our mission we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts this morning that uh, we wouldn't simply be cultural Christians, but God, we would be biblical Christians, people who follow Christ. And we know they are two different things. And so this morning, God, we ask you to interrupt our version of Christianity to bring the true version to our hearts. And we ask you, Lord, to help us if we have in some way veered from the path this morning. We know you to be a gracious God and a merciful God to bring us back. So will you do that by your spirit this morning? Lord, we pray that you would encourage, that you would challenge us, that you would shape and change us this morning. We ask you to come by the power of your spirit. Speak truth to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been talking about what it means to be all in for Christ. Two weeks ago, we we talked about it. Last week, we had Pastor Dan Finfrock, who gave a great message, um, also relating to fanning the flame of the gift that you've received, right? It was a great message, um, and it kind of fits in with our, the, the three-part series that we're in, the all-in series. But by way of reminder, being all-in by way of definition, means to be fully committed to a task or endeavor 
to give or to be prepared to give all of one's energy or resources towards something. The secondary definition is similar, means to be completely exhausted, fatigued, or worn out. Our example of being all in is Jesus. He is our example. He, he is all in. What did Jesus hold back from us, church? Only a couple of you understand that. Okay. He held back nothing. Are you guys awake? Hey, this is interactive, and we can laugh and have fun, just so you know. I'm just telling you. But uh, he held nothing back. Held nothing back from us. And as followers of Christ, guess what? We're called to hold nothing back, right? That was what he's calling us to do. Was Jesus physically exhausted when he went to heaven, when he went to the grave? Of course he was. Remember, he'd been up all night. He had, he had given himself, or a cru- he, cruci- he was crucified having stayed up all night, gave him, beaten down with the 39 lashes and all of this kind of stuff. Jesus was physically exhausted uh, when he went to heaven. And I, I, you might recall what I said, if when you see Jesus face to face, if you're totally rested up, you probably missed it. Probably missed the point of what it means to be a Christ follower because uh, we're called to work now. The Bible says, work now while it's day, because night is coming when you won't be able to work. This is our workplace. When we came to Christ, we punched the time clock, and we said, Lord, my time is yours. Whatever you want to do with me, you show me the way. When you go to your job, how many of you show up and do whatever you want? Anybody? You probably, if you do that, you probably don't have a job, right? They're not going to allow you to do that. Why? Because you're selling them your time. You've sold them your time. You you have to honor them. You owe them something. Listen, at the end of the day, Jesus Christ bought you with a price. He bought you with his blood. When you came to him, you said, you're my Lord. Punch the time clock. I'm yours. What do you want to do with my time? Because it's not my time. It's your time. What do you want to do, Lord? How do you want to use me in this place? And so he gives us a mission. He tells us that we are to uh, not only adhere to the things that he has given us, but then we're to tell other people about him, right? We're going to see that's what it means to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. To surrender to the lordship of Jesus doesn't mean that I am in control of what of my choices he is, that he chooses the path. I simply follow him. So we're going to talk about today. Paul uh, gave us a great example of what that looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Here's the apostle Paul who understands the call of Christ upon his life. And this was a blanket call, by the way, not just Paul's call to ministry, but all of our calls to ministry, that we would be focused on the souls of others. Right? It's great that your soul is taken care of. Uh, Jesus is just, he's happy that you've come to Christ, but he wants you to go tell somebody else about him. He wants you to go share the gospel with people. And that has been the mission of the Christ follower since day one. Like, this isn't a new mission. This is something that he said from the beginning of time, now church, after you've come to me, now you go to them and you tell them about me. And it's an amazing call. It's such a privilege for us, man, to be able to go in and tell people about Jesus. 
it's really truly, a, um, if you've not done it, you're missing out. There's something amazing about standing in the gap between the Savior and the sinner, and you get to introduce them. There's something amazing about that. You're just like, oh, Lord, you're so good. And you know what's, what's interesting is all you're doing is kind of bridging the gap there and making the introductions, but man, are you blessed when you do it. Man, are you blessed when you do it. Paul got it. He understood that his life is now to be served, to, to be of service. His life is now to be of service. Um, last week, we learned the first part of Matthew 20, 28, which is our, the verse we're really focusing on. The Son of Man came. That without Jesus coming, we're all wasting our time, essentially. If he didn't, wouldn't have come, we would have no hope. But he did come, and then he invited us to come. He, he gave us all that blanket invitation to come to him and, and that we can find rescue in him, that we can find redemption for our sins. We can be reconciled to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And he called us to that. And here's the reality of that. The only way that you can receive that, because it's a gift that he's given us, is you have to come all in. You can't come 85% of yourself. You can't give him 85%. You can't give him, you know, 99.9%. You have to give him 100% of yourself. You have to die. He has to be uh, crowned king. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to come to Christ or to receive salvation. When you do that, the Lord... That, then you are, in effect, born again to what? A living hope. Why? Because he has cleansed you of your sins, past, present, and future. That's the gospel, man. Well, listen, nobody else in the world has a message like we have that we can go tell people that God himself came to rescue sinners and he wants to cleanse you from your sin. All you have to do is look to him by faith and receive his gift, and he will wash your sins away. It's an amazing thing. Now, none of this could have happened if Jesus was living for himself, right? None of this could have happened if Jesus would have said, well, I'll come, but, you know, I'm going to serve myself. How about that? I'm going to come into the world, and I'm just going to do whatever I want, right? He didn't do that. He came not to be served, but to serve, he had a specific mindset when he came into the world, um, you know, and that's what I want to talk with you about today. I want to talk about what it means to be the quintessential Christ follower, the quintessential Christ follower, the model Christ follower, the example of what it means to be a Christ follower. Why? Because people aren't doing it. People aren't following Christ at a very basic level, and, um, and, and we're just doing church, which I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do church. I want to follow Christ, right? And so uh, I want to explain because our culture, um, you know, our culture in, in the United States in particular has done a great job of shielding the true Christ follower path, you know? And, and so it's become, Christianity has become a spectator sport. You know, it's just an event we show up to on Sunday mornings and then we go about our day. Not you guys, of course, but, you know, everybody else. So, uh, but, but it's something that most people don't put their hand to the plow to. They don't serve. They expect to be served. Isn't that the culture we live in? Listen, we live in a culture where we just give people everything. If you've ever been to any other country in the world, do you know they don't do that? 
Do you know in every other country in the world, they typically don't have a welfare system? They don't have any of that? I'm not saying that's wrong. What, what I'm saying, though, is it breeds a certain mentality. And that mentality then, over time, takes over. And then the expectation is, hey, I'm here to be served, not to serve. Right? And, and, and I don't know, look around. That's kind of the way it is, isn't it? People expect to be served and not to serve, except for believers. You know, the people standing out in our culture today are you and I, who are saying, hold on a second, that's backwards. I'm supposed to give myself over to serve other people. I'm supposed to be about others. That's the way that Jesus served. Jesus served us with an others sort of mentality. Remember when uh, Jesus called the disciples to himself? All of them. He said the same two words to every one of them. You know what it was? Follow me. He said, follow me. Uh, the Greek word, in, in the word for the word follow means, listen to this, to be a follower or a disciple of someone, listen, in the sense of adhering to the teachings or instructions of a leader, oh, and in promoting the cause of such a leader. It's not enough to just observe and follow the teachings of Christ, but you're also supposed to promote him. You're all supposed to go out and tell other people about him. Isn't that what exactly what Jesus told us to do? He said, follow me. And so what Jesus did was he lived a perfect life. That's the adherence or the, uh, to his, the observance of his teachings that he told us in the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? That's part of the Great Commission. So, so we have that part of it. But notice the other part of the definition is then in promoting the cause of such a leader, go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples of who? Not yourself. Boy, we, we'd be in big trouble if we were making disciples of each other, wouldn't we? We're like, yeah, you, listen, make disciples of Jesus. Notice this doesn't say converts. Converts and disciples are two different things. A convert is somebody who comes to Christ. And there's a gift of evangelism specifically for that, where they go into a stadium of people, let's say, and they bring the gospel, and it's just the Holy Spirit has gifted this person to bring it in such a clear way. He's prepared the heart of the hearer, and he uses them in that way to introduce them to Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, they, are, they have the gift of evangelism. They are changed and transformed, but they have to be discipled. And, uh, you know, one of the worst things that a person can do is create a convert with no discipleship. To create a convert with no discipleship. That's why the majority of us in this room, maybe somebody in this room has the gift of evangelism. You know, I don't. But maybe somebody does here. And, and that's your call to go into the world and preach to, uh, you know, the, the multitudes. To bring them to Christ. But then it's our job to disciple them. It's our job to build relationships with people so that we can speak into their life and help them understand how to grow in Jesus. It is, listen to this, discipleship with, without, uh, what is it again? Okay, I don't want to mess it up. Conversion without discipleship is criminal. Conversion without, it, it would be the same as this. Be the same as you 
having a baby and go, oh, hey, that's so good. You're so cute. See you later. You know, and you just walk away from them and you don't care for them at all. You don't, you don't feed them. You don't care for them. This, this baby, this infant is not able to take care of itself. It needs somebody to come alongside and take care of this, this little child, right? It's the same idea with you and I as it relates to our call to go into the world and tell people about Jesus. We're called to disciple people, to help them follow Jesus. And uh, I think Dan did a great job last week about telling us, you know, you should have a Paul in your life, somebody who's discipling you. But you should also have a Timothy in your life, right? Somebody you're discipling. We should always have those two people in our lives. Somebody that we're, we're re- receiving from, somebody that we're growing from, but then also we should have another person in our life that we're giving back to, that we're discipling. Um, again, that is a privilege, and it's an incredible blessing when you watch somebody grow, when you sit down with them week after week and you watch them grow. The guy that discipled me, God bless his soul, he had such a patience with me. You know, there were times where I was just trying to figure all this stuff out, man. I had came to Christ in the middle of the night in my bedroom, not at a church service. I didn't go to church. I didn't know anything about, really, about, I knew about the gospel, but that was about it. I didn't know anything about, about anything else. And God immediately got me with a guy who started teaching me the Bible. And I was working through other things. I was trying to put off chewing tobacco. You ever been around somebody who's trying to quit smoking or chewing or something? They're usually not nice. And uh, he, 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 would come to, he would come over my house, and dude, there were times where I'm just like, there was one time in particular. This guy is spending his time to come to my house and teach me. He comes into my home, and I'm like, he's asking me questions, and I'm like, I don't know. Whatever, I don't care. You know, and at one point in the conversation, I'm like, dude, I don't even want to do this. And he goes, okay, cool. Well, let's just pray, man. And I'm like, man, if that were me, I'd probably want to punch you in the face. But you want to pray with me? You want to love on me? You want to meet me where I am? Wow. And you know what? I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget how um, sacrificial this guy was in my life, that he would spend time with me to help me understand. And, and, and you know what? He was instrumental when I moved away from Montana um, I'd only been a Christian for a couple years. He was instrumental in introducing me to Calvary Chapel, actually, because I, I was going to, uh, you know, more of a John MacArthur Bible-teaching t- church, um, and, and we, we couldn't find what we left. You guys all know that. When you leave your churches that you love, you can't find that, right? It's different, you know? And so we were looking for the same church in Montana and Florida. We didn't find it, but, but we found Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And when we walked in there, we knew that it was where we were supposed to be. And I, I, I called him up and I said, oh man, this is a great church, but they believe in the gifts of the Spirit, so we can't go there. And he's like, Tim, they teach the Bible. They teach the Bible, go there. That's not, a, that's not a, something to divide over, you know? And as I studied the scriptures on my own, I came to a different conclusion, you know? And, and that's fine. I, I believe they are for today, but... But nevertheless, that guy invested in me. We're called to invest in people. 
When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't just mean follow my teachings and observe them. He also meant go tell somebody else about me and invest in them. That's what he means by that. This isn't, uh, you know, the great commission is not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. We are commissioned by Jesus himself to go into our culture. And, um, you know, and I hope that you're, do, you're taking that serious because your first team on God's, on God's team, you're, you're the, your first string, you're in the game. You're, you're supposed to be in the game. And he's put you in your position, but you got to do your position. He's called you. And he wants you to do that. The quintessential Christ follower is, is one who surrenders to the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Christ, you know. How many times do you consult the Lord on a daily basis on what he wants to do with your time? What he wants to do with your life, you know, what he wants to do with your resources. How, how much do you consult the Lord when you're making decisions? If he's your Lord, you're doing it all the time, right? If he's your Lord, you're not saying, it's not my time, it's your time, Lord. What do you want to do with me? What, what would you like to do with your time, Lord? Because I'm yours. I punch the clock. I belong to you. I'm your soldier, you know, Paul says that, and, you know, he's like, look, a soldier doesn't tell the commander what he's going to do. Hey, commander, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go back to my house, have a nap, and when I feel like it, I'll come back. Cool? And he's like, yeah, no. No, that's not going to work. Uh, that's not the way it works in, <laughs> in this relationship either. You ever try that with your wife, guys? <laughs> that doesn't work, you know. You're like, what, what would you like me to do, commander? Not, not really, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, is that only in my house? Oh, Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but listen, my wife is awesome, dude. And, uh, but we're, we're to surrender our will, our heart and our will to the Lord. We're to surrender to him. Do you know Jesus did that? I'm going to show you that in just a little bit. But Jesus did that. He didn't come here and do whatever he wanted to do. He understood that it wasn't his time. He was surrendered to the will of the Father in everything that he did. He wasn't like, ah, I think I'll go to Jerusalem today. It was more like, hey, Father, should I go to Jerusalem today? You know, and, and I wonder what would happen in our lives if we lived like that, folks? What would happen in our lives if we woke up on a daily basis saying, Lord, what do you want to do? Of course, you have a job and you've got all those kinds of things, but Lord, what do you want to do with me at that job? Lord, how do you want to use me in this neighborhood? How do you want to, um, you know, speak through me at the coffee shop that I stop at and get coffee on the way to work or whatever? I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, Lord. Listen, there is a paramount focus for a Christ follower, and it's found in one word. You know what that word is? It's not love. It involves love. But if you were to encompass maybe one in one word, really, the, the true focus of the Christ follower, you know what it is? Others. It's found in the word others. It's not in me. You ever read that in the Bible? Focus on yourself. You know, you're like, second opinion, chapter two, verse one, focus on yourself. And you're like, sweet, man, I'm gonna do that. And that will get you in big trouble. But, but we're to focus on others. That's what Jesus is saying in this text to his disciples. You, you recall what we talked about, how they were all about themselves? 
They were living for themselves while they were being discipled by Jesus. And, and you know, it's interesting how when, when Jesus, uh, they walked with Jesus and yet they were about themselves, but then when they were separated from Jesus after he died and rose again from the dead, how they focused on other people. Isn't that interesting? And that can happen in a, in a, in a believer's life where we can go through this phase of, you know, walking with the Lord and learning and all these kind of things, all the while serving ourselves, serving ourselves. And all we care about is ourselves. And we're not looking to other people. We're not concerned about other people. Um, but, but it's not like you can be a Christian and do that. And I think there are many people that do that. They've come to Christ and they are growing in their faith and, you know, nobody's going to do it perfectly, of course, but there's still this self-focus in, in, in what, what about me, Lord? How am I going to, you know, and that's what the disciples were doing in Matthew chapter 20. Because remember, they thought the kingdom was going to be rolled out when they went into Jerusalem. They'd, forget the words that Jesus said to them. I mean, that didn't mean anything. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go be crucified and I'll rise again from the third, on the third day. But forget that. We're just ready for the kingdom to come, Jesus. So we're focused on ourselves. Oh, by the way, hey, Jesus, can my sons sit on your right hand and your left hand and all of these things? And they were following Jesus. They'd given up their livelihoods, man. It's not like they weren't genuine followers of Jesus. Genuine followers of Jesus can do this. Uh, they, can, they can be still self-focused. I don't know about you, but I'm in process. And I'm still so focused in a lot of ways that the Lord is so faithful to reveal to me. Don't you love that? Oh, Lord. Hey, let me show you your heart, Tim. And he uses your kids. He uses other people. And he uses all kinds of things. And, and the Lord says, see, that's you. You're like, wait a second. Why are we talking about me? What, what about them, Lord? You know, that's what these guys were doing too. They were indignant at James and John for asking for the right and left hand of Jesus, the, the prominent positions in the kingdom, and, and the, the rest of the 10 were also focused on themselves, doing the exact same thing. Why? Because they wanted those positions. And Jesus tells them, he goes, you know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? That's how that transitions. Jesus talking about the cross to being asked about you know, the right and left hand position to the indignancy of the 10 disciples to Jesus saying this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them? It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Um, what Jesus is saying is you're supposed to focus on others. You're supposed to focus on others. You want to be great, then you're going to be completely other-centered. You're going to serve everybody. You're going to give yourself over to everybody. And Jesus says, let me tell you my mission. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom to many. That is his statement of purpose, folks. This is the statement of purpose of Jesus I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for, for many. Jesus is, is, is coming, listen, with zero expectations of being served. He has zero expectations of anybody serving him in any way. He said, you know what? I'm not here to be served. Therefore, I'm not gonna have any expectation of being served. He's set up to win, folks. 
He's set up to win. Why? Because he's got his eyes on the prize, and the prize is not himself. The prize is us. And he does amazing things as a result. He had, a, he had an others-centered mindset. And that's what it looks like to be the quintessential follower of Jesus. You have to have an others-centered mindset. Jesus didn't come to serve us conditionally. He came to serve us unconditionally. He's, he wasn't looking for reciprocal service. He's like, well, if these, these sinners don't serve me, then I'm not going to serve them like we do sometimes. You know, no, he says, I'm serving you regardless. I love what Spurgeon said about this passage. He said, Jesus did not come to get your service. He came to give you his service. Not that you might first do him honor, but that he might show you mercy. Jesus never took his eye off the ball. Not once. He kept his eyes on the prize. And you are his prize. And he was living for you. Everything that he did, he did with you in mind. He did with you in mind. He, every step that he took on planet Earth was about other people, not about himself. And so he's calling us to follow him. He's calling us to do the same, to make our lives about the Lord. Paul understood that. You know, Paul understood that to such a degree that he said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way, it was really the Holy Spirit speaking through him, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, somebody who isn't following Christ or attempting to follow Christ doesn't say that, right? Even people who are really trying to follow Christ don't say that, right? So Paul is saying just what he's saying is, is watch my life. Just watch my life. I'm, you're going to see me fall, but you're going to see me with everything that I have attempt to live according to the teachings of Jesus, but also tell other people about them. You're going to see me with everything that I have all in tried to do that. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And that's all that Jesus asked, is that you and I do that. Paul said, uh, you know, he, he, he understood that he was crucified with Christ. It's no longer he that lives, but Christ who lives in him, right? He understood that he died at salvation. When he was born again, he died, and Christ now lives through him. He, he got that, and he, he told us all about that. And that's the same for you and I. We died, and Christ is living in us. And then Paul goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we all have died. And he died for all that... Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. So in other words, Jesus said, follow me. When you follow Jesus, you'll live for others. That's, what, what he, that's exactly what he did. Follow me, I'm living for others. Therefore, uh, you know, when I live through you, I'm not gonna live for you, I'm gonna live for other people. I'm gonna be sacrificial, and I'm gonna live for other people people. That's our call. Jesus came to serve us and thus die to self, and we must do the same. Those who died in Christ should become like Christ and serve others with no expectation of anything in return. Amen? Paul gives us a clear picture of 
the servitude of Christ in Philippians chapter two. Flip, me, flip over there with me. Philippians chapter two. We're gonna look at the, the first eight verses of Philippians chapter two. I kind of referenced it a couple weeks ago. There's, there's so much incredible things in here, but it really boils down to one thing. And it really, the key principle in uh, becoming the quintessential Christ follower. And it's found in these verses. This is, I think, what the greatest account we have in the Bible of what it means for Jesus to come and serve us. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse one, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which, was, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So context, Paul is talking to the church of Philippi about being unified. That's what he's saying. I, I, man, complete my joy. Like, like God wants us to be unified, but Paul is saying, I also want you guys to be unified. So, I want you, so the way that you can complete my joy is by being of the same mind, being of the same love being in full accord with one mind. He's saying, oh, oh man, if you guys are unified in the body, it's going to be amazing. Why? Because when you're unified like that, the, the, um, the next thing that happens is people begin to serve each other. And that's what he says here. He, he says a unified body serves one another. And, and that's the goal. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus said that's what the world is going to, kinda, that's how the world's gonna know that we belong to him by the love that we have for one another. You know, when we're serving each other, ministering to each other, and all these kinds of things. Paul is telling this, this, um, this body to be unified, and the only way that they can be unified is if they're walking in humility. You have to walk in humility to be unified in the body of Christ. Why? Because it's not about you. And it's not about your neighbor. It's about Jesus. Jesus. You know, and it's about what he wants. And so when we surrender ourselves in humility to that idea, we start working together towards one goal. Do you know Jesus only has one goal? You know, he, he's, he's not given us a bunch of different goals as the church. We're called to represent him well. We're called to represent him well. We're called to be his body. You know, and, and we can't do that if we're not unified. You can't be unified if you're not walking in humility. And that's exactly what, Paul talks about here. He's saying, humble yourself and count others more significant than yourselves. Now, this is a problem. It's a problem for us as human beings to count other people more significant than ourselves. Can I illustrate that? Hey, when you look at a group picture, who's the first person you look at? You know, you're like, and you're zoomed in on your face. It's like, oh, we got a group picture? You're like, and you're trying to, well, I messed my notes up, but you're trying to, 
look at yourself because all you care about in that picture is you. You don't care about the other people. You could care less how they look. Like what you're going to do is you're going to find the best picture of yourself and you're going to post that. And you're going to, you know, my wife, we're having a family picture. My kids are crying. Her hair's in her face. And I'm, it's a great shot of me. So I post, look at my family, man. My family's awesome. Right? That's what we do. That's exactly what we do, man. What if, and this would be the heart of Christ, I think, is that you would have a picture where you look less than great in a picture, but everybody else looks amazing. And you post that one because it's not about you. It's about other people. It's about humbling yourself and counting others more significant than yourself. Listen, if you're full of pride, you will never do that. You will never do that. And I don't know about you, but God's working on the pride category in my life. I don't know about you, but, but I, I wonder how long it's going to be for me. There's plenty of pride he's working out in my life. And I'm, I'm going to venture to say there's plenty of pride he's working out in your life. But listen, the quicker we become humble and surrender to his will, you, you know why? You know what it is? It's a battle. It's a battle of his will and your will. That's what really the biggest issue is in, in our lives is a battle of uh, what God wants to do in your life and what you want to do in your life. And you think you have a better path. And that's pride. Listen, when I say, Lord, I don't care what you do. I don't care how great I become. I don't care what I have. I don't care about any of these things. I'm going to surrender myself to you and I'm going I'm to follow your path. Do you know that that will be the most amazing life you could ever live? Do you know you will be so far blessed beyond what you could have ever done yourself? You will have incredible, um, you know, peace and joy and all of these kinds of things. It's when we start to pursue our own path, our own path that we find, you know, unrest and we find, you know, that we're frustrated and, and all of these kinds of things. Surrendering to Christ in humility. What is humility? I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking less, not less of yourself. Like, I'm, you know, you don't beat yourself up and talk about how you're not all these things. You don't even talk about yourself at all because you're not focused on yourself. I, I love that definition. It, it puts it in perspective. And you will never, ever elevate others in your life unless you're walking in humility, like Paul says here. I, I remember one time I was just kind of, I had the training wheels on my faith, you know what I mean? Like I had just become a believer, and, um, and I was trying to work out, like I had no concept of all of the things that were involved. And like, like I was living for myself. I wasn't living for the Lord. I wasn't doing the Lord's will. I was doing my will. That's what I knew. But I was a believer. I was a full-on believer. And uh, I remember I was going to move to Florida. And, you know, was I praying about that? No. I wasn't praying about that. I thought the Lord gave me a brain and then I would have just used it. You know, and I thought, well, he'll show me the way. You know, I, I, I really, to be honest, didn't know that I was supposed to surrender myself to his will. I thought he saved me. And now I've, I've just got to live the rest of my life till he comes to get me, whether it's through death or the, or the rapture, right? 
And uh, I didn't even know that stuff, to be honest. I didn't know a lot. But I knew that Jesus loved me, that he forgave me of my sins. I knew the, the foundation of salvation is really where, where this guy was really focusing on with me to help me understand my, my sins were forgiven. Um, but the rest of it, I was still working on. I didn't know anything about it. So I, I end up meeting this guy in my church. And this guy was the super Christian. You know the type that is spewing Bible verses at you constantly and, you know, is like uh, telling you what you should believe, knowing that you have no idea what they're talking about, but using all these theological terms so that they can elevate themselves in your presence and just, they, all they talk about is themselves and how great they are and all these kinds of things. Have you met the Christians like that before? No? Okay. This is really great analogy. Uh, <laughs> But, but, but here's the thing is, this guy was like that. And he was telling me all these things I should believe and all this stuff. And I was never a guy that just believed what someone said. I don't care what you say. Show me. You know, anyway, this guy was, 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 was doing this to me. And he made a statement. And he knew a lot. He knew a lot. The guy could quote scripture like nothing. I mean, it was like ingrained in his file cabinets in his brain. And he said to me one time, as we were passing, he goes, you know, uh, I'm not here to serve this church. This church is here to serve me. And, I, and I, I didn't know, you know, whether that was, you know, theologically, I had no idea if that, if that was right or wrong, but I knew in my heart that didn't sound right. You know, I thought like, hmm, that doesn't sound right to me. I couldn't quote a Bible verse to tell him like, hey, that's wrong, but but I was like, yeah, that, that just doesn't sound right to me. And, and he, here's the reality of it is that's the Holy Spirit protecting me because I could have easily received that in that moment and I kind of went on. And you know how hard it is to unengrain yourself with something. I mean, we're still quoting things like God helps those who help themselves. That's not even in the Bible. That's totally wrong. You know, we, we quote things that are totally wrong all the time because we've heard them and then we receive them. But the spirit just said, no, that's not right. So I kind of set that off to the side. And then I realized over time, I'm like, no, it's the direct opposite of that. We're supposed to give ourselves over to other people as much as we can to, to the point where we're, we're literally sacrificial with our lives to other people. Here's what I found out in that moment. And this might help some of you in your, where, to, to gauge where you are in Christ. Listen, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how much you know. It has everything to do with how much you're doing with what you know. It's not so much about how many Bible verses you can quote and all these kinds of things. It's about how am I, how am I implementing what I know in my life? I'll take a Christian who implements one scripture in their life over somebody who knows a million of them and doesn't do any of them. James says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. He says, you want to see what Christ looks like? I'm not only gonna hear it, but I'm gonna live it out. And that's what we're called to do. And he's telling us, don't live for yourself. Walk in humility, live for other people. And uh, Paul got it. He understood that, and he was trying to encourage this church to be a people that lives for 
uh, other people. He goes on to say here, not, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Not, look, look not to your interests, but also to the interests of, of others. So what this isn't saying is that you're never to look to your own interests. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't look only to your own interests. In other words, uh, you can, you're, you're to consider your life and, and the things that you're called to when you serve other people. I'll give you an example. If you, you, know, you have a job, you don't tell somebody, hey, I'll call off work so that I can come serve you, and then you put your family at risk. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's not calling us to, you know, um, to take our priority, priorities and skew them around to the point where we are, we are totally off base in other areas in our life. What he's saying is, is you, you consider the things that you have in your life. If you have a, a spouse, you have an obligation to your spouse. If you have children, you have an obligation to your children. You know, if you, if you have other people in your lives that, that are respons- you're responsible for, you have an obligation to them. That is your ministry. That's where you start, but that's not where you end. Don't look not only to your own interests. You have these interests that you have to take care of, but you also look to others' interests too. So in other words, somebody calls me up and says, hey, can you come help me move at one o'clock today? And I'm like, no, I can't. I have a job and I have something to do, but uh, you know, I'll help you at 5.30 as long as my wife says it's okay. You always put that in there, you know, if you're a dude. But uh, um, Paul is saying that we're to look to other people's interests, you know, not only to ourselves. And uh, that's what it means to be a good steward, is having that balance and understanding that balance, you know, um, and, and being sacrificial, but also being responsible with what he's given you. Jesus didn't look to his own interests, but he looked to the interest of others. And he wants us to do the same. What, what, if, what if our church in a little Columbia, Tennessee, 100% of our church were unified and we were, ser- we were looking not only to our own interests but the interests of others? What would that look like? Wouldn't that, I think that would be amazing. And I think that we would be an incredible light to the world. And I think people would come here and they'd say, like, there's something crazy going on there because these people are so unified that, you know, uh, God says in unification that nothing is impossible. And he said that when they were building the Tower of Babel. What, what would happen if Holy Spirit-filled people were unified and we were all going the same direction and saying, man, you know, let's do this together. It would, it would be amazing. How about we shoot for that? How about that be the goal? Hey, let's unify. Let's not let little things get in the way of our relationships with each other. Let's, let's walk in humility towards each other. That's why these eight, eight uh, little reminders are up, up here because they're, eight, the eight most, they're the eight most simple things that Christ has called us to do that people don't do. That's why they're on the wall so we can look at them all the time. There's little booklets in your seat back pocket. You can take these little bookmarkers and look the scriptures up and read about them. Our lives are to be all about others and that includes Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Uh, Paul goes on here to, to, now he illustrates what he's just said about not looking to the interest of others, to, you know, considering, to elevating others over yourself. And now he says, we look to Jesus' example. 
He goes on in verse 5 of Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is exhorting the this church in Philippi and you and I through the Holy Spirit here that we're to have the mind of Christ, which is an other-centered mindset. Other-centered mindset. Notice it's ours in Christ Jesus. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's not like we have to get this. We already have it. But if we don't walk in humility, we won't do it. We won't, we won't have that mindset. It, it, it sort of... Um, becomes more prevalent the more humility we walk in. The mindset's rooted in humility. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, though Jesus, so Jesus is an example, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like this should blow your mind when you think about what, how humble Jesus was that he did this. That he came himself and he took on human likeness, and he didn't consider himself equal with God while he walked on the horizontal plane in this world. Not once does Jesus say, I'm God, you probably shouldn't talk to me like that. By the way, I'm God, I don't think you should crucify me. I'm God, and he didn't do any of that because he was on mission. But he was God. And Paul's going, dude, it should blow your mind that Jesus didn't walk on earth like that that he didn't consider himself equal with God. Here's what this is saying here, is that he was in the form of God. Literally, that the idea is that he, he was God, he is God, and he'll always be God. That's the idea here. When Jesus came on this earth, he didn't cease to be God. Therefore, it would have been totally fine for him to be equal with God because he is God, but he didn't do that something to be grasped. And that should blow our minds that that's the humility of Christ so clearly uh, uh, seen in the way that he walked on this earth. He was a servant man. God in the flesh. Now let me ask you a question. What God does that? What God does that? Our God does that. No other God does that. There's not a single other God in human history that people worship that came for them, their, their, their creation, and gave themselves up, walking in humility, in perfection, gave themselves up to the hands of sinful man to be crucified. Not a single other God would do that. There is only one God, and he did that for you. He did that for you and I. You want to talk about walking in humility. You want to talk about being other-centered. That's our God. So many people have no clue about the characteristics of God and how good he really is. Like, if people understood how gracious God is, that he gives us what we don't deserve, how merciful he is, he withholds what we do deserve. Man, it's amazing. Jesus is, is, is really the the representative of, of humility. Obviously, you know that, but he's what we're called to be like, and he did this. How much more should we? It goes on here to say that Jesus emptied himself. There's this thing called the canonic theory that is a theological position that says, well, when Jesus emptied himself, what it means is that he laid aside his deity. That's not what Paul's saying here. 
And in fact, he's saying the direct opposite. He's saying he didn't empty himself. That's why it's a thing to be grasped, but he didn't consider equality with God. But he did empty himself. What Then the question becomes, what did he empty himself of? What is it that Jesus emptied himself of? He didn't empty himself of his deity, but what he did was he emptied himself of his rights as deity. He emptied himself of his rights as deity. In other words, Jesus said, even though I'm God, I fully surrender to your will. I fully surrender to your will, Father. Whatever it is that you want, I'm going to surrender to you. The point of Jesus being baptized was to, to illustrate the idea that Jesus walked in the flesh by the same power that you and I have through the Holy Spirit. That's the point. The point that we see the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus. And by the way, that's when he began his ministry was at that point. He wasn't in ministry. He was learning and he was growing, the Bible says in his understanding, up to that point. But when he was baptized, at that point in time, Jesus' ministry started. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the works and all the things that he was called to do. He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's an illustration to you and I. We have far more power than we understand. We, we, we possess within us, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, already the power to walk like Jesus. The question is, you know, how far are we going to let ourselves go and let him reign? That's going to determine how much we will walk like Jesus. No one will do it perfectly. Paul didn't do it perfectly. But here's the question is, are you pursuing that? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in your life? Is he directing your steps? And that's how you walk like Jesus. You let him lead you. Because I don't know about you, but I always find myself up in, in dead ends and in bad places when I take control of my life. I'm always, it's a train wreck when I, hey, I got the reins, Lord, and he's like, oh boy, here we go again. Tim's got the reins, everybody. Get, look for the train wreck, it's coming. That's how it works. And that's how it works in my life, and that's how it works in your life. But when we would let the Holy Spirit lead, we walk like Jesus. Jesus walked by the Holy Spirit. And uh, when, he, when he emptied himself, he didn't empty himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his rights, and he said, Father, I'll do your will. And then he walked in the power of the Spirit to do the will of the Father. He became a servant, born, being born in the likeness of men. And notice, it goes on to, Paul goes on to illustrate the humility that Jesus said, had. It says, he then humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was already humble. Guys, like, and then he humbled himself even more. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. Like, that's the emphasis is, like, Jesus would even allow himself to be crucified on a cross, which was for the most vile of criminals. Would be like Jesus being on death row today in Texas, and, uh, you know, he would be led into that room where the electric chair is there, and they would say, Jesus, this is for the, the vilest of criminals, and we're gonna, you're going to be crucified. And he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. He allowed himself to be crucified because he understood the surrender of his rights to the Father's will. And he opened not his mouth. He was like the sheep led to the slaughter. He didn't say a word. The only things that you find Jesus saying as he's being crucified on the cross, guys, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
understanding at that moment where the, the weight of the world, all of the sin had been poured upon his shoulders and he's like, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was in surrender to the Father the entire time, even in that moment. He's asking God, where are you? Because we're separated. Never, never understanding that feeling before being separated from his Father, but he did it for you and I. You want to talk about being humble. Jesus will talk with you about it all day long. All you got to do is read the Gospels and you'll see what humility looks like, man. And uh, he's calling us to that. He wants us to live that kind of life. And listen, it's, it's the best life that you could live. You know, there's so much joy in that kind of life. There, there's so much reward in surrendering to his will. You're not your own. I'm not my own. We were all bought with a price. And we are called to surrender our will to his. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want to do. Even to the point of death. Just like Jesus did. Some of you think it's crazy that Pastor Brian would go back to Haiti. Do you know when he got there, he faced all kinds of, there was all kinds of violence and stuff going on in Haiti just recently, like a week ago. You know why he went? Because he humbled himself to the will of the Father. It's God's will for him to be there. His life is not his own. And guess what? It's in his hands. And if it's in his hands, nobody can take it from him. So we live our lives not by trying to stay alive. We live our lives by the will of God and whatever that looks like. That sounds radical. But it's simply the same way Jesus lived his life. That's it. Surrender to the will of the Father. I want to leave you with three things this morning, real quick, about, about the idea of humility and serving others and really three things uh, that we can do in order to do that. And the first and foremost, it comes from Galatians 5, and it, it, here's what it says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, but through love serve one another. We're called to use our freedom correctly. You know, we've been, we've been set free. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. You have freedom. But that freedom is in the confines of the will of the Father. It's in the will of the Lord. What, what does the Lord want to do with you with that freedom? He set you free but he hasn't set you free to just do whatever you want to do. He set you free so that you could live your life for him and specifically for the things that he's calling you to do. Don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Remember Hezekiah when he prayed, Lord, give me some more time. God, if you give me some more time, I'll, I'll serve you and all these kind of things. They were the worst years of his life, 15 years, the worst years of his life. He didn't live for the Lord. He didn't do what the Lord called him to do. He did the direct opposite when God added 15 years to his life. He didn't use his freedom correctly. Hey, church, use your freedom correctly. Use it as an opportunity to love and serve other people. Number two, the second thing we must do to become quintessential Christ followers is to walk in our gifting. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each has given, received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Every person that has been regenerated, who's been born again, has been given a gift immediately upon salvation. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have a gift. Well, what is that gift? There's a list, list of gifts that you can look at. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4 here. But here's the thing is, it's not an exhaustive list. God has given you a gift and you're called to use it to serve one another. That's the body of Christ. He's talking about within the confines of the church. He's talking about to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use your gifting to serve your brothers and, Christ, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot of people use their gifting to serve the world. You know that? They use their gifting to serve the world, and the church suffers as a result of that. You're supposed to use your gifting to serve each other. Uh, and you're a steward of it, by the way. God has given you a gift. Here's what I find with most people is they don't understand what they're gifted at. And a lot of times they don't understand what they're gifted at because they're looking to what they're good at, and those aren't the same things. A gifting from the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily a natural gifting that you have that, that you're just good at, right? Well, what are you good at? Well, I'm good at this. Well, that doesn't mean that it can mean, but you have to ask the Lord. Here's what I found is that many of the gifts of the Spirit require cultivation. It requires you to fumble along the way to figure it out. And I'll give you an example, teaching. I've never met a pastor that walks in the pulpit and goes, dude, I'm so gifted at this. Well, maybe there are a few. But, but here's the reality is it's a gift that requires cultivation. It's a gift that requires you to um, continually, actively use it in order for you to continually let it go further and further in you. It's not that the Holy Spirit's uh, the limiting factor. You're the limiting factor, but you're cultivating as you go. So the first three times that God gave me the opportunity to uh, teach in a pulpit, it was bad. I mean, so bad that, praise God, the recordings didn't work because my pastor would have never asked me to do it again. No joke. It was bad. But for some reason, and I told my pastor, dude, it was bad. I'm sure he talked to other people and go, dude, it was bad. It was really bad. But he saw a call on my life. And so the third time, he has me give this, go, okay, I want you to share. I'm going to be out of town. So I share, and I'm like, same thing. It was bad. You know, go home, and I feel like a fool. And the Lord said, hey, Tim, if I give you an opportunity to keep looking like a fool for me, will you? And I was like, man, that's kind of that's crazy, Lord. Are you serious? And I said, okay, Lord, you know what? If you keep giving me opportunities, I'm not going to seek them out. But if you keep giving me opportunities to, to do this, I will do it. I'll look like a fool for you. And I said those words to the Lord. And, you know, over time... Uh, that gifting has, has cult, been cultivated and I've, I've gotten more comfortable with what I'm doing and all these kinds of things. And the Lord has been, and it's really about the Lord just changing me, to be honest. He's not changing himself. He's changing me. And I've, I've learned to do this 
you know, better, and I hope that I continue to cultivate it and get it better and better, just like anything else. Listen, sometimes your gifts aren't going to look like gifts initially. You, God gives you a word of knowledge, and you know what that requires? Courage and stepping out in faith. You step out in faith and you go, hey, the Lord told me to tell you that X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. And then you're waiting like, is that going to happen or not? And maybe it doesn't happen. But you thought God, you heard God, and then the Lord says, I want you to do it again. No way, Lord, I'm not doing it again. But listen, you're learning. You're a disciple. You're a learner. You're not going to be naturally just 100% uh, you know, walking in those giftings. What I, what I think happens to most Christians, to be honest with you, is they're so afraid to make a mistake, they do nothing. And that also is a sin. That also is a sin. And you're robbing the body of Christ, man. Listen to me. If God's telling you to say something, say it. Just say it. If you believe in your heart that, the, this God, I believe in my heart that you're telling me to say it, you need to say it. And guess what? If you're wrong, I don't think God's going to come back and go, I can't believe that you walk by faith in that. I can't believe that you thought you heard me say that and, and you walk by faith in that. You, you, you ungrateful, you know, unruly uh, disciple. No, he's not going to say that. I'm not saying be careless. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you, every Christian I know has made mistakes in their gifting. Every single one of them. And if we can't make mistakes in our gifting in this place... We can't do it at all. This is supposed to be a safe place, Christians, where we can minister to each other, where we can learn how to walk with the Lord, where we can make mistakes with each other and grow. And if you can't do that here, then, man, we're, we're doing something wrong because it's not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to cheer each other on, man. We're supposed to love each other and encourage each other and admonish each other in the Lord. Not judge each other because we made a mistake. Use your gifting. Use it. Seek the Lord. Ask him what it is. But then when he starts to take you down a track, use it and do it. And don't be afraid to do it. Number three, Paul said that we need to, we need to build bridges with people. He said, I become all things to all people. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. For I am free from all. I've made myself a servant to all. that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul understood what it means not to be served, but to serve so much so that he said, I'm willing to become all things to all people in order to win some. And here's what that means, is that you're willing to bend in certain ways to a culture to build bridges to people so that you can share the gospel with them. It doesn't mean you bend in sinful ways. You know, you don't move to Colorado and start smoking pot with people so that you can, uh, you know, you can share the gospel with them. You're like, man, Jesus is so good, isn't he? Here you go. You don't do that. 
That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about being willing to bend. We're talking about being willing to build bridges. Like, I'll give you an example, Hudson Taylor. He didn't go to, he's the first inland missionary to China. So there were mission work happening on the outskirts, on the, the coastal regions of China. He lands in Nanjing, and then he goes inland where nobody else is. And he doesn't walk in there in his three-piece English suit. He's like, I'm going to change this culture. Hey, culture, Christian's here, so you need to bow down to me. No, that's not what he did. He actually went in there with the haircut of the traditional Chinese people, with the dress of the Chinese people, so that he could share the gospel with them. That's what it means when Paul says, I became all things to all men. He went into the temple at one time. He made a sacrifice, not because he felt like he needed it. He went in there to identify with the Jews so he could share the gospel with them. He, he went into the, the various areas of the, the Greek places where they were, and he tried to build bridges with people. Listen, I know too many Christians that walk so arrogantly in the world that they expect the world to cower, to, to, to bow to them, and that is not the way Jesus did it. We're to be the flexible ones. We're to be the ones walking in humility. You can't expect that from somebody who's not in Christ, but Christ can't expect that from you. And so we have to be willing to bend in what, not sinful ways, but in certain ways that we might be able to bridge the gap. If you have a sport nut in your office and you're trying to get to know the guy and all the guy wants to do is talk about sports and all you want to do is talk about Jesus, talk to him about sports first. Build a bridge, build a relationship. Get some kind of you know, camaraderie where you can, at some point in time, you can tell them about Jesus. You know, just, just think about these things. The only way you're gonna do that is if you're intentional about sharing the gospel with people. If you just wake up and you're waiting for Jesus to come and you're just walking through life in that mentality, you're gonna miss so many opportunities. So be conscious be walking in humility and follow Jesus. Don't be on your own plan. Paul said, man, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm gonna end with this. J.I. Packer said this, relating to this last point. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, in all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Do everything that you can do. Be willing to sacrifice in whatever ways necessary to get the gospel to other people. Serve other people. Love your brothers and sisters. Minister to one another. My prayer is every Sunday, Lord, let the body minister to the body. If you see somebody downtrodden, don't go get Pastor Mike or, or you know, hey, hey, we need to go pray for that person. Pray for them right there. You're, you're a minister of the gospel, man. Pray for them. Lay hands on people that are sick. Yes, call the elders and anoint and all of those things because that's scriptural. But, but do your part too. Maybe you have the gift of healing and you don't even know it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this, just this time and uh, for the encouragement we find, Lord, and reminding us of the humility it takes, Lord, in order to be the quintessential Christ follower. And we ask you, Lord, to fill us with humility today. Lord, we know that requires a dying to self. And Lord, we pray that you help us to die to ourselves 
that we remember that Jesus died for us so that he could live in us. And so, Lord, even right now, Father, we surrender our lives to you. Pray for anyone in this room, Lord, that maybe is uh, feeling like, hey, I've, I've just been living nonchalantly in life and I have not been following the Lord. I've been on my own plan. Will you, Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God and you just say, hey, just turn from that and turn to me this morning. That's all I want you to do. I love you and I want you to, to walk in the empowerment of the spirit, but you're never gonna see that out on your own plan. And so Lord, will you just, whatever it is that we need to do here in this moment, will you by your spirit direct us? We thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to our hearts this morning and uh, we want to be more like Jesus. So just, just speak to us in these last few moments as we close in this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.